Oh shit, it's the coin toss. One surprise topic off the rip. Two sides of a coin. I choose a player prop for the upcoming Thursday night game, and Tarek and Trey debate each side of that over under. This week we got Tampa Bay Bucks at the Philadelphia Eagles, and man, I got an ugly one for you. But first, heads or tails, Trey. Let's go with heads. Flipping this Susan B. Anthony, 1991 real fake coin. The old silver dollar. It's tails. All yours, hey. Derek. It's tails. Appreciate you, Susan F. Anthony. You like that. <laughs> All right, T. I want the ball. You, get, yeah. you want the ball? All right. This week, Miles Sanders, your boy. God damn. Over or under 34 and a half rushing yards. All right. I, I actually was thinking about this uh, before the uh, recording because I saw a tweet by Matt Harmon uh, who said, you know, Miles Sanders has been disappointing all year. Tampa Bay Buccaneers run defense is godly and we're all going to sit him and then he's going to go off. Right. So, you know what? I, I'm going to say over and this is why I I feel horrible about it, but I'm making <laughs> the bad bet that Miles Sanders has a big play um, because last year. He kind of made a living on having really long rushing plays against really good defenses. Like I remember the Pittsburgh Steelers, they were the best defense in the league last year. Miles Sanders had a great day against them because he had a 70 yard touchdown run. So you know what? I have Miles Sanders in three leagues. That's like half of my leagues. So I'm I'm benching him in all of them, Um, (laughs) but I'm taking the over. He's going to have a big play and a touchdown. and I'm going to be mad that I benched him. All right, Trey, what you got? Oh, brutal, brutal. Uh, well, give me the under, and uh, I'll tell you why. Uh, just this this Tampa Bay defense is absolutely stifling the run, and it's real, and I don't think Miles Sanders is going to be the difference maker to break that trend. I mean, we just saw Miami last week, and Miles Gaskin had like less than 10 yards rushing, but he did all of his damage catching the ball. So I could see Miles Sanders getting a few more uh, passes than usual. I could see... Uh, Gainwell definitely getting involved in the passing game. And if anybody's running the ball this week for the Philadelphia Eagles, it's going to be Jalen Hurts. He was having a fantastic start to his uh, second year as a pro. So, yeah, give me the under on this one. I don't feel bad about it either. <laughs> no, I, I love that. I've been taking the under 100% on it. But I do have a follow-up for John. Oh, I have a follow-up <laughs> here. Uh, Kenneth Gainwell. Who? <laughs> 14 and a half yards rushing. Ooh. Ooh. I like it. Give me the under there. No, really? no, no. I like it. Give me the over on it. Yeah. He he's he he really makes his hay in the passing game. And if we really think that the Tampa Bay rushing, I mean, look, have we ever seen Vita Vea and a wall in the same room? Because I think they're the same thing. It's unclear. Unclear if Vita Vea is not actually. I mean, what what you could say is that when Kenny Gainwell is in the game, the defense is expecting pass. So that means he may have better rushing lanes than Sanders would. I, I can buy that argument. Um, but look, I'm pot committed to Sanders on the over here. Uh, so, you know, I'm going the other direction on Gainwell. He's locked in, folks. Hey, if anybody's pot committed, it's me. And I think I really think that Kenny G. Well, no, the new Kenny G is Kenneth Gainwell, because the old Kenny G, I haven't heard from him in a while. Who? Yeah. Who? Kenny always heard a day. <laughs> it's the best I could come up with on short notice. <laughs>
fuck John Gruden, everyone. Yes. Welcome into the Long Game <laughs> Dynasty podcast. I'm your host, Tarek Angry T. Bintria. It's a weekly roundtable discussion about fantasy football. Wow, I fucked that up. Keep it going, man. No, I love it. No, you're thriving. <laughs> you're in your element here. Don't, don't restart. Listen, I'm Angry T. With me, as always, Trey Cryan and Mitch Yates. Fuck John Gruden. Trey, what's going on? Way to push through, brother. Way to push through. Man, I'm good. I'm good, dude. I was uh, actually at a college football game last weekend. I was with my buddy Zach down at uh, uh, Blacksburg Lane Stadium watching Notre Dame at Virginia Tech, which was a hell of a game, uh, especially as a Notre Dame fan. So, uh, yeah, I had a great time. Just didn't celebrate too loudly in front of those uh, pretty rowdy fans there at uh, Virginia Tech. But uh, it was a good time. Uh, Great seeing you, Zach. Love you, dude. And uh, yeah, it's good to be back. Shout out Zach Vergeels. Miss you, bro. Well, John Alexander is not here, probably on his way to Boston. Hopefully he'll check in with Trey. Uh, He usually does a college player highlight each week, but in his stead, I'm going to do it. Uh, And my college player highlight is going to be wide receiver out of Texas, Xavier Worthy. This is a true freshman. And the first couple of games of his career were kind of marked by key drops and fumbles. But man, he painted over that last weekend, massive game in the Red River rivalry, nine catches, 261 yards and two touchdowns. No matter the conference, that is impressive for a true freshman playing with a question mark at best at quarterback in Casey Thompson there at Texas. Slight frame, small guy, uh, 6'1", 160 pounds, but he's got some time to bulk up. And even then, we aren't BMI truthers here He's not draft eligible until 2024, but let's watch his trajectory. Uh, I really like what I saw there. Uh, So keep an eye on Xavier Worthy. Mitch, what's going on with you? Hey, what's up, man? Uh, Here to talk about another college wide receiver. I might have mentioned him once or twice before, Jordan Curley. And uh, again, super proud of the little bro. Game-winning touchdown against Navy. Uh, If you haven't seen that play, go watch it. The way he contorted his body around the corner who was draped all over him and caught that ball. Incredible. Uh, heal up, man. I know that shoulder. Uh, I think uh, I think he sprained it on making that catch, but you wouldn't notice it after he got up and celebrated. In his own words, it was worth it. So heal up, buddy. And nice, uh, go nice. SMU. Uh, so as we have been doing the last couple of weeks, we are just going to go over some key insights from the previous week of football. We just finished up week five, looking ahead to week six. So we're going to have two insights from each of us from the week five slate. Let's kick off this first half, Trey, and we'll start with your first insight for Dynasty. Yeah, so the first thing is, uh, you know, it feels like old news now, but uh, last Thursday, uh, the Thursday night game, uh, Russell Wilson got hurt. And uh, apparently he suffered a, quote, tendon rupture and a fracture dislocation of the middle finger of his throwing hand, which sounds bad, guys. Uh, so he had surgery last Friday, and the report is that uh, Russ is going to be out for the next four weeks. So the games he's going to miss are at Pittsburgh, uh, New Orleans at home, Jacksonville at home, and the bye week. So right now it looks like he's targeting to return week 10 at Green Bay. So with Russell Wilson out, that meant uh, Geno Smith was a hot waiver wire ad in all of our super flex leagues, which uh, definitely is not what I would have expected going into this year. Uh <laughs> Didn't think I'd be blowing uh, half of my uh, free agent budget on uh, Geno Smith and getting outbid in the process. But, uh, you know, <laughs> that's that's fantasy football for you right there. But look, by the time week 10 rolls around, 
Seattle very well could be uh, like a three and six team, you know, uh, like assuming they win the one against Jacksonville, maybe I guess uh, three and five, three and six, either way. But look, I mean, based on that, this season, it looks like it's on the verge of a collapse. And we saw this play out last year in uh, Dallas when Dak Prescott was uh, hurt for uh, pretty much the full year. This is really bad news for the other pieces in this offense. I mean, just think back to Amari Cooper. He really struggled uh, with all of these backup quarterbacks thrown to him. And uh, now with his starter back, you know, he's putting up a high end wide receiver two value for the rest of the year. So pay attention over the next few weeks. I think what's going to happen is there's going to be a buying window that's going to open up for uh, Wilson, for Metcalf and for Lockett. And if you're a rebuilder uh, looking out to uh, next year, I think all these guys are about to take a big value hit when Geno Smith comes in and starts struggling and, you know, maybe they don't rush Russ back from injuries. So look, just keep an eye on the situation, be ready to put in your offers. And uh, I mean, look also that Russell Wilson manager, they may want a quarterback now because they're probably a contender. So, you know, maybe you could go ahead and throw out uh, Tom Brady and Cordero Patterson. Maybe that's enough to get Russ and, uh, if not today, I bet it'd probably be enough to get it done a month from now. Yeah, speaking of Geno Smith, uh, the Jets very silently fist pumping about the Seattle season collapsing because they own Seattle's first round pick from that Jamal Adams trade. Uh, so, hey, good day to be a Jets fan. Yeah, man. No, nobody's having fun in New Jersey right now. Especially <laughs> it's a good day in New Jersey. No, no the the. Uh, the excitement from the win over the Titans has quickly faded as they're returning back from <laughs> right. uh, over the pond there. Look, Trey, I think you may have dodged a bullet. Uh, half, of your, half of your free agent budget is still available, and you didn't get Geno True. Smith. True. And the, the picture was painted perfectly for him. He came in there, and uh, he started getting them caught up, and he's starting to look really good. The crowd's chanting, Geno, Geno, Geno. You know All what happens. All the 12s are shouting Geno. You know what do. happens. You know there's an immediate interception coming. Yeah. And yeah. sure enough, man, no. Like, once teams start game planning for him again, I, somebody else yeah. can have him. I'm good with that. I don't think any of us expect uh, big things from Geno Smith. As far as, like, the buying window uh, for these players in Seattle. Uh, I think I agree with you. I think I would be putting out offers, uh, competitive offers to get them on my team. Honestly, whether I'm a contender or or a rebuilder, because if you're a contender, then hopefully you have a little bit of equity built up to where you can kind of take the hit. Um, I will say that there is a chance that DK Metcalf is just one of those DeAndre Hopkins type players uh, where his quarterback situation doesn't really matter he's just that undeniable and if he shows out like he did once geno smith came in the game uh you know that buying window could you know have never existed in the first place so yeah um, we'll have to see that's just a consideration yeah that's definitely a possibility with metcalf and you guys know i'm super high on the dude he's my uh, number two overall receiver for dynasty right now but uh i mean it's hard to look at this situation and think that that's going to hold uh for the rest of the season just based on uh, Geno Smith is probably going to struggle. This defense has proven they aren't very good. So I don't think they're going to be in a lot of close games with Geno Smith. And, you know, if they do come back with, uh, you know, two or three losses over the next couple of weeks while Russell's out, then, you know, they may not rush him back and they may just kind of punt on this year. 
Yeah, Trey, that was my favorite thing that I took away from what you said is that they may not rush him back in. Because I remember when they were talking about Russell Wilson's injury and that it was four to eight weeks. It wasn't necessarily like he'll be back in four weeks. Right. So, I mean, if the season's lost, why are you going to rush your uh, franchise back in there like that? I don't see that happening. And I, I like what Tarek's saying, too, about Metcalf. I feel like he is potentially quarterback proof just the way he's been playing and the way he like his stature, you know, he's going to be, right. he's going to be targeted a lot. And you know, who's not quarterback proof, at least in my view is Tyler Lockett. I, Tyler Lockett seems like a guy who his game is really built around having those super accurate, high efficiency right. throws from a guy like Russ. Absolutely. So I, I think it's guaranteed that Lockett's value is about to take a hit. So I think it's a great sell window if you are a contender. And if you're looking to rebuild and really compete next year, his value is going to be awesome at the end of this year going into the offseason yeah uh yeah and i mean tyler lockett and russell wilson's chemistry was just like next level and you don't get that kind of brain meld with geno smith no yeah no, definitely not all right mitch uh let's move on to our next insight coming from you all right let's do it well the dawson knox experience has begun and i just want to ask you guys if you're getting on this ride or you're getting off of it and some of y'all might remember i'm a callback the long game episode nine, uh, when I had Dawson Knox at my tight end 13 and, uh, his current ADP at that juncture was 31st. Um, a little bit of a stretch for me then it's starting to look a little bit better at this point. And it's looking reason... a lot better now. <laughs> yeah, you're not, you're not lying. <laughs> not not going to lie. Uh, and what I liked still stands true, right? Uh, last season I liked, uh, his playoff usage. It seemed that Josh Allen and he were starting to gel a little bit. And he was starting to be used in those important situations, and especially in the red zone. Uh, the direct quote is, I hope he's been practicing his catching this offseason. Uh, <laughs> that's what I said. Yeah, man, he definitely nine. struggles with the uh, drops. Yeah, yeah, that was a yeah. that was a big concern of mine. And I, I just wanted to bank on uh, that athletic upside. But I did say, you see the breakout year coming. If he breaks out and you have the breakout tied in on the Bills offense, that's where you want to be. Well, that's where I want to be. And uh you know, they signed that. What's his name? They, they signed Hollister and he was allegedly eating his lunch money at uh, in camp or was it Hollister? I don't remember. Yeah, but Hollister, I think, is like on the like he's on the Jags now. Right. Or something. Yeah, like he's that. already yeah. been cut and resigned somewhere else. Yeah. yeah. But here's the deal, man. He uh, he's tight end three overall right now, which I don't think any of us think that's sustainable because touchdowns are a major reason why he's tight end three. But this is what you're chasing, right? Uh, he's a big part of that incredible offense. I mean, guys, he played 96% of the offensive snaps last week. Those four big targets, he had eight targets the game before. He's averaging 4.8 targets on the NFL's highest scoring team. And to reference that, I hope he's getting better at catching thing. He actually saw a vision and hand-eye coordination specialist this offseason. And apparently that was the subject of a lot of like Buffalo Bills jokes or whatever. But Looks like yeah, he, did the, he did the Steph Curry thing. Yeah, it looks like it's actually working out for him. So anyway, I don't think he's one of those top six top tier guys. He's going to have to be a lot more consistent and he's going to have to do this over a much longer period of time before he's entered anywhere near that conversation. But he's solidified his spot in the top 10 for me. And he's with that 25 year old MVP candidate. Uh, he's 24 years old. Dawson Knox is 24 years old. And it's that breakout season. So uh, wheels up for my, I hope he keeps this party going. It looks to me kind of like it's sell high time. Uh, I'm, I was guessing that's how you feel. Maybe you guys don't feel that way though. And I'm just 
curious how high everybody is on this because nine seems pretty high. That's where I got them right now. Yeah, I mean, nine does seem pretty high until you kind of uh, scope out the rest of the uh, the tight end uh, situation right now. So really in Dynasty, there's a big seven for me. And that, that tier of seven uh, ends with Noah Fant. And then there's a huge drop off after that. And yeah, so I don't have a problem at all with somebody putting uh, their this third year athletic breakout tight end into their top 10 uh, for their dynasty rank. So Mitch, first off, a hat tip to you because you have been super high on Dawson Knox where the rest of us were fading him behind guys like Blake Jarwin and Gerald Everett. Uh, I mean, look, this dude, um, (laughs) obviously he's getting a ton of uh, unsustainable efficiency right now. The touchdown numbers are going to regress. We saw it happen with Bob Tunyon last year and, you know, Tunyon is kind of nowhere to be seen right now. Uh, but this is also the time where you'd expect a young athletic uh, former fullback to break out. It's their third year in the league. And, uh, you know, we were sitting here talking about guys like Cole Komet, guys like Adam Troutman as breakout candidates. But Dawson Knox was in a much better situation. He had all the athleticism in the world and uh, he's getting a ton of usage in the red zone. So it's it, everything is kind of coming together and working perfectly. And what's really kind of sticking out to me about Buffalo is it's not, it's these touchdowns are going to Dawson Knox and they're not going to guys like Gabriel Davis, who some mm-hmm. of us were kind of high on in the offseason. And they're sure as shit not going to Stefan Diggs, who, <laughs> like, for yeah. whatever reason, is just like, I, I think he's got like one touchdown on the year. Maybe he's got a zero, but he's not getting, no, he's the, definitely got one. He's got one total, right? Mm-hmm. With all of that volume. So I think, I think Diggs is going to start getting more of those looks. I think Josh Allen will probably start running in the end zone a little bit more. Uh, we've seen Zach Moss uh, turn it on this year too, but there's tons and tons of uh, touchdowns to go around, tons of scoring in this offense. So, uh, yeah, I don't think I'm selling. I, I yeah. like the hold here if you're if you're a Knox manager, and uh, you know it might be a little bit too pricey to buy uh, after that huge breakout week that he just had. But once you get a little bit of regression, I'm um, and you know he has a few quiet weeks. It's he's just as valuable as a, a tight end candidate as anybody else in this big second tier after those top seven guys to me and trey i i love that that you think he's a hold right now because i completely agree but i'm still looking to buy him as well and like you just said if he has a down week or two uh that's that's that friendly reminder that he's not a top six or seven guy and so he might lay an egg in somebody's lineup and when he does that that manager is surely going to be pissed off so right yeah. yeah i think that's what trey was saying right if you see that regression right then, yeah I, right and I, you I, said and you said 4.8 targets a game let's be honest like that is not top tier tight no, end it's not. volume right so he's gonna have to increase his usage in the passing game to really take that next step but yeah I, dawson knox is an interesting cat because you know he was seen as somebody who was a little bit overdrafted by the bills there in the third round he had zero touchdowns at Ole Miss, you know, playing with A.J. Brown and D.K. He's a former fullback. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that's really interesting. I, I have moved him up to my tight end nine as well. And it's essentially like he took Bob Tunyon's lunch. Like, yeah. this is the Bob Tunyon of this year. And if we can catch that and, and if it's a little bit more sustainable than Bob Tunyon has been, uh, I'm, you know, I don't, I'm not necessarily super confident that that's going to be the case because I think that touchdown regression is coming, but at least, you know, you have the athleticism, you have the youth here and you have that, 
you know, like Mitch said, 25-year-old MVP candidate and Josh Allen. So why not hit your wagon to that, right, as a low-end tight end one? Amen, brother. Yeah, low-end tight end one is right. I think he kind of ends up in that tight end 12, tight end 13 range rest of the year. Uh, but then you got to factor in the fact he's already scored all these touchdowns. So that probably bumps him up into the top five uh, by the time this year's all said and done. Yeah, we will see. All right. Uh, so my insight moving on here. Uh, look, last week I said, and I quote, sell Kadarius Tony for Diami Brown, end quote. <laughs> and that was clearly an underestimation of what Kadarius Tony is worth and what he is able to do. So let me formally apologize to everybody listening. Look, we all need to take some lumps here on Kadarius Tony, uh, especially those of us who rely heavily on analytics. Process on him coming in was extremely sound. The profile was just a pile of red flags. You guys see that meme on Twitter right now, all the red flags? That was Kadarius Tony's profile. <laughs> Outside of a productive super senior year and just eye-popping ability with the ball in his hands on highlight plays, just a pile of red flags. But as the depth chart cleared for him here in New York, much to Jason Garrett's chagrin, he took advantage 22 targets, 16 receptions, 267 yards over the last two weeks. And it's not just box score numbers. He's looked very impressive in the process. So what do we do here? Everywhere I have Kadarius Tony, and I do have him in some places because I got him in the literal 16th round of startups, I've offered him up to everyone for either a 2022 or 2023 first. No dice, doesn't work. Everywhere I do not have him, I have tried to acquire him for a second round pick. Again, <laughs> doesn't work. I think that's probably what's happening in most places. But, you know, I, who knows? There are plenty of people out there with Tony Priors that like Kadarius Tony that I think would happily pay a first for him. So in your league, I would float that despite him looking really good. And here's why I would take a first for Tony. I like dynamic assets or liquid assets insofar as they are easily moved in a package for elite pieces. Tony is not a dynamic asset because 75% of your league still hates him and they will continue to hate him. But that same 75% of people, they love first round picks because everybody loves first round picks. So you shouldn't accept less than a first for Kadarius Tony given the ceiling he's demonstrated. But turning Tony into a first, given what you probably got for him in the preseason, like a 16th round startup pick, it just means that you're turning an asset that's relatively static, relatively immobile into an asset that's extremely liquid, extremely dynamic in a rookie first. So like, let me give you an example. I don't think really anybody is accepting Tony and a first for DK Metcalf, especially if they have negative priors about Kadarius Tony. But a lot of people will think really hard about accepting two firsts for DK Metcalf if they're in a deep rebuild. Like me and Mitch, we got Tyreek Hill for two firsts from a rebuilding team recently. So I think like if you change Tony into a first, you can get somebody on your team that you really like. Now, the obvious disclaimer here is that if you like Kadarius Tony, you have him because you drafted him ahead of market. And you think that this is real and you want him to just be a guy who develops and puts points in your lineup, then feel free to hold him. You know, I, I don't hold that against you. I was very impressed by Tony. So that's completely legitimate. But for most of us who still want to hold on to some of our priors about Tony, I think trading him for a first is the way to go. 
Yeah, and and so let me just throw it out here because I was definitely uh, not a Tony believer during rookie draft season. The reason no, none of us were the reason that most of us faded uh, Kadarius Tony was because he essentially did nothing his first three years as a college wide receiver at Florida. He broke out in his fourth year, his senior season, and he looked great while he was doing it. But he was running over a bunch of eighteen and nineteen year olds. So uh, yes, he did end up as a first round pick. Uh, which you know probably meant he was overdrafted by the Giants, but still, that profile does not lead to a lot of success historically. When you look at the data, yes, there are some exceptions to the rule, but we're always trying to maximize our hit rates in those situations. Right. So, uh, what does that mean now? Like, yes, it's possible he could be a breakout guy. I don't necessarily hate him. I love the athletic profile. I think you know he could be a difference maker in this league, but he also looks to me like a guy whose ceiling is maybe like a Percy Harvin gadget player. And too often those guys end up more as Tavon Austin types, you know, Devin Hester types, guys that flame out as receivers after the first year or so. So, yeah, I mean, so, I mean, basically what I'm saying is, is that I don't have him anywhere to sell him, but if uh, I could trade him for a guy like Rondell Moore, who I'm higher on, who I'm going to talk about later this episode, then I would definitely do that. Yeah. And look, I also don't have him. Like Tarek mentioned, we were not high on him collectively. And, you know, also, Trey, thank you for painting the the picture of him running over 18 and 19-year-olds. <laughs> it kind of gave me the the memory of Derrick Henry and the U Lee games where he's just running over all those other kids. Yeah, right on, man. Tarek, I did want to mention that not everybody loves first-round picks. You did forget about the Rams. They hate them. Fair enough. Yeah, if you have Sean McVay in your dynasty league, then uh, yeah. no, he's out there. first-rounders. But look... Like the only comparison that I can think of here, Trey, I'm kind of with you there where we're talking about those potential uh, busts like Devin Hester and whatnot. I think Tyreek Hill was kind of mentioned like that where he just listened. I'm not saying he oh, plays the like, other Tyreek Hill cop. I'm not saying I'm not saying that he plays like Tyreek Hill. I'm just saying like betting on Tyreek Hill that early was not a safe bet, just like betting on uh, Kadarius Tony right now is not a safe bet, in my opinion. I think we just need to trade him and cash out now, guys. I don't think that he's going to be anything like that uh, all-elusive Tyreek Hill-type player. I think he's going to be more like a Devin Hester or more like a Tavon Austin. So you're just bringing up the counterpoint, but ultimately you agree with Trey. Yeah, absolutely. I just think think that's what people are chasing with him is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I mean, look, that game against Dallas, I watched very closely because I am a Cowboys fan. It was extremely impressive. I mean, and it ended kind of perfectly for Kadarius Tony because, you know, he's having this great game and then he gets hurt and he punches somebody. So it's kind of prime, you know, what the what the concerns were about Tony. But <laughs> yeah. Um, so, look, I'm not, you know, this pro scout tape evaluator, but what I saw on the field was pretty special. So, um, you know, like, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that he is like a special player. And hopefully, you know, he continues to get utilized. Um, and you know, the depth chart should still be pretty clear for him, but you know, we'll see. I, I I stand by, if you can get him for a first and you're not a Kadarius Tony fan or you weren't, I think you should do it. Uh, just get a dynamic asset on your roster, trade him for a first. Yeah, yeah. If you yeah. can trade Tony for a first, yes, get thank rid you for of that Tony. Okay, mic check. It is halftime. Nas, why did you do it? You know you got the mad fat fluid when you rhyme. It's halftime. And halftime. 
being very kind to us because we hit our parlay for the second yes, time in did. five weeks. Yes, we did. Well done. Well done. Well done. That puts us at 14 and six overall or a 70% hit rate. Again, TLG financial were basically sharps. Um, so I guess let's do it again. And, you know, we're in the green now, so maybe we'll just, you know, keep trying to play. And if we lose every week, then whatever. Um, so, uh, John is not here, but he sent us our pick and he is picking the Browns minus three at home against the red hot Cardinals. Um, so his justification is that the Cardinals are allowing 5.4 yards per carry. He thinks Arizona will score, but the Browns are going to run the ball extremely effectively and control the game. Probably a low scoring affair, um, which, you know, I mean, end quote by John. That's a little interesting if he thinks it's a low scoring affair, but he he's, you know, taking the points minus three. I don't know. What do you all think about that? I couldn't hate this anymore, John. I, I think this is a I think this is John shitting his pants after watching the Chargers almost lose to the Browns last week. I really think that's what's going on here. He watched his yeah. favorite team almost lose, and and now he's gonna bet on the Browns to beat the undefeated Cardinals by more than three. John, come on, man. What do you think? Uh, I don't hate it. I don't hate it. I think the Browns are a good team. I don't. I don't hate it either. I think the Browns are really good. I think you know I love Kevin Stefanski way more than I love the fake sharp Cliff Kingsbury. Undefeated fake Ky- sharp, by the way. Yeah, and uh, I mean, <laughs> yeah, even more reason to you know expose himself. But uh, Kyler Murray dealing with that shoulder injury again kind of worries me a little bit, at least uh, in the short term. We'll see. Uh, so that's John's pick: Browns minus three. My pick: Packers minus four and a half at Chicago, where I am currently. Um, the Packers have been covering their spreads since that Week One clunker. Um, Against who did they play in week one? New Orleans. They got they got waxed by Jameis. Right. So division game at home uh, for Chicago makes this bet a little bit scary. But I think the line of minus four and a half reflects that because there is so much disparity like in talent, like in especially like game readiness between the Packers and, and Chicago and an even bigger talent disparity at the coaching position between the two teams. <laughs> The weather is perfect in Chicago right now. Um, Rodgers is just going to walk into Soldier Field and throw for 400 yards and four touchdowns without even trying. Now, now I I don't know that he's going to do that. I think the Chicago defense is pretty good, actually. But uh, yeah, except for when they faced Matthew Stafford in a competent offense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I like the pick, dude. Thanks. I'm with you there. All right, Trey, what you got? All right, so let me throw out the bolts as dogs on the road, right? So the bolt dogs call them Jolteon. Uh, I want LA Chargers plus three <laughs> at Baltimore. This is uh, the battle of your MVP candidates for this year. So this is actually the third week in a row that uh, we as a pod have bet on the Chargers, but I'm ready to do it again. I think the Chargers are a much better team all around than Baltimore is, and I think they win this game outright. So we just saw over the past three weeks, Baltimore failed to cover against Detroit and uh, last week against uh, Indianapolis. And I'm only slightly nervous about the cross country travel here for LA, but it looks to me like that's baked into the price. Cause I think that they're uh, better than uh, an even team on a neutral site. So yeah, give me the, the chargers plus three on the road. Bolt uh, Jolteon. Yeah. Go Jolteon. Yeah. I like, I like us riding the chargers here, Mitch, what you got Jolteon. I choose you. Uh, <laughs> 
Tara, can I can I change my pick or did you already pay, place that bet? I already uh, placed the bet, man. I I I know you did. So look, <clears throat> I'm taking the Titans this week. Look, they're hey, yeah, you are. titties. Listen, listen, the Titans aren't playing anybody good. They're at home against the uh, uh, shit. All right, look, the Titans are playing the Bills, but here's the deal. I actually I actually think that plus five and a half is a little too high. Uh, they're gonna, the Titans are going to be fully equipped with A.J. Brown. Julio's back to practice. And I expect a second audition to the week one disaster against the Cardinals. I expect them to run a good amount of play action, give Henry his usual dose, and I think they keep it close. I don't know if I'm saying I'm going to take the Titans spread or uh, money line here, but I'm definitely good with the spread. I think if the Titans lose, they're going to lose by three or four. Uh, I don't think five and a half is what's going to happen. So, but really, I, w- I just wanted to do this to make you guys all Titans fans on Monday night. So, go tits. Okay. Hey, hey, I'll I'll be rooting for him. Look, Trey, Mitch said very cautiously, you know, I don't think that uh, I'll take the Titans money line here. But, you know, I like the spread. <laughs> Give me a fucking break. Of course Savage. you don't like the Titans money line against the Savage. best team in the NFL, Mitch. Give me a fucking break. <laughs> I love you, buddy. Hey, man, I know I know a good amount about this team. Listen, we played down to, the Titans, played down to the Jets, and fucking lose, and they're gonna just play up to the Bills and fucking win. I hate, I, can see I hate this team. This is what they do. And if I'm putting money on them, I'm taking the points. I'm never betting on them when they're when they're uh, expected to win because I don't expect them. To so, win. Mitch, hang on, Augusta. So rewind two weeks. Rewind two weeks. You assured us for sure Tom Brady would go into New England against his old team. And prime time and throw like 500 touchdowns, which you bet against the home team dog in prime time. And it looks like you've learned your lesson. So home dog on Monday night. Let's go. All right. Let's kick off this second half, though. And we're going to Trey crying. So I'm going to talk about the Cardinals, right? So like I said, they're the only uh, 5-0 and team remaining. Fake Sharp is still undefeated. Stands alone. So uh, they figured out something there in the desert. And uh, I'll keep this quick. I mean, this team is getting it done on defense. Uh, Mitch knows all too well uh, what Chandler Jones and J.J. Watt and that defense can do. But, uh, I mean, what are we going to do with these wide receivers? So I think what we're seeing is really the evolution of the Cliff Kingsbury system, which really is like the next generation, the modern pro version of Mike Leach's uh, air raid college system. He used to run at Texas Tech for years and years. Um, No worries at all with Kyler Murray. I mean, yeah, I guess he's got the shoulder injury, but... He's the man. Long term, he's fine. Yeah, he's the man. He's a top three locked in dynasty quarterback for years to come. But I mean, DeAndre Hopkins right now has just been a ghost, uh, has not found the end zone, has not been the guy that I expected he would be this year. You guys remember, I thought Hop was like a locked in candidate for uh, wide receiver one overall. He has not been that by any stretch, but um, I'm, I'm not losing hope entirely. I think there's a chance he bounces back. But behind him, you've got Rondale Moore, Christian Kirk, and the uh, near-retirement home, A.J. Green, all battling it out for that wide receiver two spot. And they're all pretty much dead even in terms of uh, targets. So uh, for each of these guys, I think it's good for us to kind of understand, you know, who do we want to target in this offense? Do we want to fade the entire offense because the situation is too murky? Or do you want to place your bets on like one or two guys and see what happens? So... For me, that dude is definitely Rondale Moore. And if you saw the game against San Francisco last week, he had the catch of the year on a throw that was like 
40 yards downfield out of the pocket from Kyler Murray. It was just an absolute strike on the sideline. And Rondell Moore made a hell of a catch. Incredible. Uh, So, yeah, he's still a buy candidate for me. I think what we're seeing right now with Christian Kirk and AJ Green has opened up a sell window where there wasn't one one or two months ago before with these guys. And, uh, you know, I mentioned this already. Kadarius Tony's getting a lot of hype. Rondell Moore is a guy I believed in before the season, uh, and I haven't totally adjusted my priors on yet. So if I can sell Kadarius Tony for Rondell Moore straight up, sign me up. Oh man, Trey, I cannot. I I gotta I gotta tip my hat back to you, and I'm actually wearing one, so I'm gonna tip it. Uh, I was so wrong on Rondale. I was wrong, Dale. Rondale Moore <laughs> is incredible, man. I just every time he gets the ball, it's electric, and sometimes when yeah. when he gets the ball, it's electric. How he gets it. He's got the juice. Uh, dude is really, really good. And my priors need to be just flipped over and uh, just we need to do that again. But I will say about Hopkins, uh, you're absolutely right. He's been a ghost, but he's done some crazy shit in the fourth quarter. Like last sure game, last game, he had like zero or like just less than five on the scoreboard. And I was looking at him in one league going, well, here we go. Hopkins just blowing me the game here. And then he turns around, gets a touchdown, ends up having nine targets on and, and six catches, which none of that happened till late. And so mm-hmm. it is a little scary, but I do think that Hopkins is still going to Hopkins. Um, he's just going to kind of disappear a few weeks here and there. But, dude, Rondale is being game planned, man. Like, get in on this guy before people uh, before it's too late, because I, I don't For know. Sure. And the thing I really, really, really like about what they're doing with Rondell Moore is they're starting to give him some more of those touches out of the backfield too. He's starting mm-hmm. to get more of those carries. I think he's gotten uh, like one, two, and three a week over the past three weeks. So uh, he's starting to get more work on the ground, which uh, if you're looking for a gadget type guy, I mean, that would really put Kadarius Tony over the edge, but Rondell Moore has already got it. And uh, let's not read too much into the first five weeks, but yeah, it looks like this dude is a hit. Yeah, and you know, uh, Max Williams, the tight end, was kind of ascending, but he just went on IR uh, with a season-ending injury. So I think um, those four wide receiver sets are going to keep happening. Yeah. Um, And what that does is maybe it extends the cell window that Trey is talking about for the lesser guys in Christian Kirk and A.J. Green. These guys were absolutely just completely immovable a couple weeks ago. And you know, they could work as throw in pieces now for a bigger deal. So I completely agree here. Like take this opportunity to get Kirk and green off your roster. But not only that, like I looked at first glance here, I'm like, I don't want AJ green. I don't want captain Kirk. I don't want either of those dudes on my team. And then I paused for a second and I'm like, well, actually I wouldn't mind having Kirk because Kirk does have some value, especially if one of those top guys goes down. Um, and that means moving forward too, but AJ green, kick him to the curb. And the the thing with, uh, with Christian Kirk right now is he had two touchdowns in week one and he hasn't found the end zone since then. So a lot of us are going to be anchored on that week one performance. And that's going to kind of artificially inflate his value the rest of the year. Yeah. He could have a two or a three touchdown week again, because, you know, this is an offense that we expect is going to score some touchdowns, but uh long-term, I mean, the profile with a guy like Rondale Moore, uh, paired with D hop and, uh, you know, a MVP candidate like Kyler Murray throwing him the ball. I mean, that's, that's dynasty gold right there. Mm-hmm. Christian Kirk is, you know, he's in the last year of his rookie deal right now. Um, and I think he's got kind of like a career ceiling of like a Sterling Shepard 
I, I think it's very highly unlikely that if he moves on from Arizona, he's going to get a much better quarterback situation than he has right now. Um, so, yeah, uh, good opportunity to uh, move on from Kirk, in my opinion. All right, Mitch, uh, let's move on to you and your second insight. It wouldn't be me to talk about the Titans at halftime if uh, I weren't going to talk about them now. And honestly, I didn't even want to talk about A.J. Brown until people started pissing me off on Twitter. <laughs> and I think that if you are an A.J. Brown manager, you need to follow his lead and not do shit. Sit on your hands. Hold. Do not do not trade him away. A.J. Brown is as good as he was before the season started, you know, when you likely had him ranked higher. And look, I don't want to make excuses here. The beginning of the season is not how you want your potential top five wide receiver overall to start. There's a lot of hype in the Titans, alleged high-powered offense this year, and they got off to a rough start. And both A.J. Brown and Julio traded each other their hamstrings or whatever they did, but they're both coming back, and I don't think five games is simply enough to throw away your priors. There's the same bullshit, too, that we've heard before he was drafted, like, I don't know, man, he's on a run-first offense with Derrick Henry, and now Julio's there, or like, Tanny's good, but he's not great. Or AJB had to be incredibly efficient to finish as a wide receiver one. Or my favorite, AJ Brown is trash. Uh, I think no, that's that, what you heard on Twitter. Uh, AJ Brown is trash. Yeah, you know the Twitter people told me so that. Dumb. That's but he's, so dumb. What are like, we even doing here? Another one Come though on. is just like he's just another Twitter darling, right? Like this is how people are reading into this. Like I'm, I'm not saying you know because we're we're seventy percent. We're sharps, right? Basically sharps. No, um, I, I just don't understand why five games is enough for people to throw away their priors here. So if if I'm not an AJB manager, I am looking, I'm just knocking on the door because I think that there are some rosters out there that are contending right now that expected AJ Brown to put up some solid uh, contending numbers in their in their lineup, and he's sitting on their bench right now. So I think now is a good time to make a move before he does uh, what he does and reminds everybody that he can put up like a nine reception, 150 yard, two touchdown game because that's coming. Currently, he's my wide receiver six because Chase passed him, not because he started a free fall. If A.J. Brown is on a contending roster's bench, it's time to pull that trigger, guys. If A.J. Brown's on a contending roster's bench, that would be absolutely crazy. Look, you said Jamar Chase um, passed him in your wide receiver rankings, but let me just kind of like clarify my position here because I agree with you. Like the point is AJ Brown is still a tier one dynasty wide receiver, right? So if you can move within that tier one, if you can get like a second round pick or like a, a you know, a receiver or a tight end or something that you really like in addition to AJ Brown and trade away Jamar Chase, that's something I'm personally doing because that's just moving in the same tier and gaining profit out of it, right? Yeah, exactly, Tarek. Yeah, I mean, so the situation here is definitely a rough start to the year for A.J. Brown, and uh, it, it certainly doesn't help that touchdown regression is hitting this offense kind of like we knew it would going into the year. Uh, I mean, the Titans' offense has just been extremely, extremely efficient when it came to scoring touchdowns over the last two seasons, so... Uh, this was something that, you know, I was trying to warn our listeners on uh, going into the season. It looks like it's popped up now. What I definitely did not see was the emergence of uh, Derrick Henry uh, pass catching uh, Christian McCaffrey uh, running back at uh, one. So, yeah, that's been incredible to watch. And uh, 
I mean, if he's going to just go and catch all the passes and take all that target share from AJ Brown, then uh, I don't know what to tell our, our listeners there. But uh, look, I, I don't think there's reason to panic. Um, I was definitely a little bit concerned week one when they laid that dud out there against Arizona. Uh, it seems like the offense is kind of bouncing back. Uh, AJ Brown definitely does not deserve to be any lower than this top tier of dynasty wide receivers. And even if you want to put him at the end, that only leaves him as like, you know, wide receiver six or seven overall. So I do think there's a discount out there right now for AJ Brown. Uh, I called out a couple weeks ago that you could probably flip a guy like Cooper Cup for AJ Brown straight up. I think that's even more doable today than it was two weeks ago. So if you do have Cooper Cup on your uh, roster, I think that's a great trade target to go out and get. Yeah, and uh, Mitch, just FYI, in our main home league, I have A.J. Brown and you have Cooper Cup. And no, you cannot have A.J. Brown for Cooper Cup. Hmm. Just, you know, in case you were were thinking about it. (laughs) Well, in that home league, we do have the same score. Uh, I think we're both three and one, but I can't remember which one of us is. Oh, four and one. Yeah, we're both four and one. And hey, speaking of four and one, that leads in perfectly to my second insight. It's time to pay attention to what, you know, I'm calling the economy of your league and figure out where exactly the seller's market is. So ask yourself these questions. Is there a cluster of four and one and three and two teams at the top and only a few oh and five and one and four teams? To me, what that means broadly is that you're in a seller's market for contenders, i.e., You can move contending pieces for rebuilding pieces relatively easily because there's a lot of people thinking that they're about to be competing for that championship and they're chomping at the bit for that pot and for those contending pieces. So what you're so what you're saying is there's a lot of teams that think they're contending. There's maybe one or two teams that are kind of near the bottom of the league. So what that means is those contender pieces have an inflated value compared to the younger uh, guys with a lot of future value baked in, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Exactly. Yes. Thank you. I mean, and then on the other side, are you in a league that there's a lot of teams signaling that they're kind of already turning toward the rebuild? That would mean that you're in a seller's market for picks and young rebuilding assets in which contending assets like Antonio Brown, Adam Thielen, Age Cliff running backs, those values, they become slightly depressed and they become potentially more acquirable. Now, obviously, there's this big disclaimer here. This is going to depend on where the pieces are distributed. You know, as a dynasty league kind of matures after the first couple of years, assets will naturally become a little bit more polarized. But in the younger leagues, you really profit by being the first to identify what the overall economy of your league is and jumping in early to where the buying and the selling efficiencies are. So I just think right now you need to kind of do a a macro scan of where are the different teams in my league in terms of their records? What are their kind of sentiments? Like Like you probably know these people in your leagues at least somewhat, and you know through previous conversations whether they want to contend, whether they want to rebuild, if they're hedging their bets. And every single time you figure one of those things out, it's an opportunity to gain an edge on them. Yeah, Tarek, I think what this really plays into is something we talked about on the pod a couple of weeks ago, right? Which is now is really the time of the year to really self-reflect and understand, you know, for your own strategy, 
are you going to be a buyer or a seller? You know, are you going to be a contender or a rebuilder and really make that push? So you should definitely look at your win loss record, but you should really focus on your points for, you know, are you suffering some crazy injuries or are you having some bad luck with touchdown regression or whatever it may be? But, you know, it also definitely helps when it comes to getting out there and negotiating these trades to understand these dynamics in the market, as you pointed out. So if you can gain an edge on your league mates and really set yourself up for an even more competitive year next year, uh, really tap into, you know, maybe uh, that value, that extra, um, you know, value bump that some of these rebuilding assets have this time of year, then, you know, by all means go out and do that. Um, but, you know, it, that starts with an honest self assessment. It starts with, you know, understanding the situation of your in and those league dynamics and then, you know, basing your strategy around that. Yeah. And I think right now is around the time where people are starting to think about that about where they might finish because there are a lot of one and four teams or two and three teams out there that have a pretty considerable points for. So Trey, I like that you mentioned that because points for is more indicative of your team's ability than your, uh, than your record, especially this earlier in the year. Yeah. Especially five weeks in the season. Right. Right. Cause I think there was a, what there was like an Owen three team or an Owen four team that I was inquiring about Zeke, right? Like in my mind, I'm following Tarek's advice here. I'm like, Oh, this person's buried. Like, uh, and I need a running back, and they certainly don't. They need futures. And they they were like, nah, I, I still think I'm in it. And I was kind of taken aback. I'm like, I'm like no, they, you're not. They might be delusional. Right. And so, but it's it's either going to come around soon. Like, <laughs> if, they're, if they're one in six, you know, they better figure it out, or I'm just not going to be talking. But I do think right now, uh, like, I don't know if everybody's ready to admit defeat after five weeks. So uh, this is right, right when that right. pivot's happening. This is when it's beginning, but I think the next couple of weeks is really going to shine through, and these trades are going to become uh, much more easily acquirable. So look, okay, let me just like kind of lay bare here, because what spurred this insight for me was precisely our home league. We have, I believe, five four and one teams in that league or something like that. So what that signals to me is that it's a seller's market for contending pieces, right? There are five teams in that league that are four and one, i.e. there are five teams that may consider themselves top tier contenders, right? So if you are somebody who's either hedging between contending and rebuilding or you're a hyper rebuild, a situation like that should signal to you, hey, I need to go try and acquire these rebuilding assets right now from these contending teams because they're feeling themselves right now at four and one, right? So the the baseline insight here that I'm trying to get at is taking a scan of what you consider the overall kind of economy of each individual league. Like how many contenders are there? How many rebuilders are there? And what kinds of efficient markets does that create, right? Yeah, no, I like that. And I'm, I guess the only thing I would add is there's probably a little bit of, of game theory that goes into that too, right? So if I'm at one of those other four and one teams, I don't necessarily want to sacrifice bench depth to help out somebody that I'll probably be competing against in the playoffs. But say you're not in that four and one tier and you're you know lagging behind, you can probably already start to see the writing on the wall that it's probably not going to be your year. So it's a great chance to really, you know, move one of those guys that's maybe been stuck on your roster for a while that can be that important bench depth to a contender. 
especially now that we've got more of these big injuries and these bye weeks coming on, that'll set you up really nicely for next year to, you know, be able to hang with those big boys at four and one. Yeah. Like you said, Trey, it's know thyself first, Mm -hmm. but it's also about really trying to tune in to what the dynamics of the league are after you know where you're at. For sure. And this is a big three weeks for uh, Dynasty. This is a huge three weeks because even if you're not like as active at trading as we would like you to be or you would like to be, I would at least put some time aside for these three weeks to make some trades because like Tarek said, bye weeks are happening, injuries are happening, and people are deciding whether or not they're going for it this year. We're we're five weeks in, guys. It's time to adjust your priors, adjust your rankings, and you know, figure out where you're at, but also understand that we have a much clearer picture of these player values than we did uh, five weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, put your ear to the ground. I think that's like the baseline insight here is just like really dig deep into who you are and where the rest of your league mates are and just try to be, you know, we say this a lot, try to be first to the party, right? Yeah. Whether it's a rebuild, whether it's a contend, what you know, whatever your plan is, be first, right? I like it. Either finish first in your league, win the championship, or be first to some other kind of strategy. Be the first one to quit and sell all your shit. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> All right, guys, so let's like we did last week, let's end the show with a couple of one liner insights to where we just kind of go one by one uh, uh, a little nuggets. So I will start uh, inquire about Chase Claypool. Look, Juju Smith Schuster went down for the rest of the season. So obviously the price will have gone up since a week ago. But for Claypool, it is fucking wheels up from here on out, in my opinion. Uh, Mitch, what you got? It's time to buy J.K. Dobbins because holy shit, the Ravens running backs suck. All oh of them. God. All of them. Oh my god! So bad. They should just put Dobbins back in. Fuck you it. know, I <laughs> just I screwed up on that Tyson Williams call, so uh, I'll take the L on that one. Uh, <laughs> look, guys, I think there's a tiny little little microscopic buy window that just opened up for T Higgins, and you know he was out for two weeks with the injury, and uh, he came back this last week. He had five catches for thirty yards, and he did not score. While meanwhile, he's getting overshadowed by his teammates. So. I put out multiple offers this week for Higgins in leagues where I didn't have them. So I recommend you do the same. Okay. My next little nugget Debo Samuel has indeed overtaken Brandon Ayuk in my rankings, hey. as has Mike Williams, as has Mike Williams. Uh, in respect to Keenan Allen, enough is enough. I have seen what I need to see for Debo and Mike Williams. Fair enough. Yo, I agree. I agree with you on both. Um, okay. I think. Henderson is earning the lead back role for Who? 2020. Uh, that would be Darrell Henderson. Or is it Daryl? Uh, Daryl. D. Hendo. Henderson. Hendo. I wrote Hendo. I, I even tripped over that. I think Hendo is earning the lead back role 2022. Okay. So 2022, Darrell Henderson going to be the guy. Oh, Cam Akers. I don't Dead know about that one, Mitch. Um, <laughs> staying in the NFC West here. So Trey Lance season is finally upon us. He uh, got it done on the ground, even though he struggled uh, throwing the ball. But uh, he also had a little bit of a knee injury last week, and they're on bye this week. So it's a little bit unclear what's going to happen after the bye. But I think he's going to back, and I think he's going to be back, and I think he's going to be our rookie quarterback one at the end of the year. Over T-Law? Yeah, over (laughs) T-Law. I don't know, man. (laughs) 
Okay, here's another one for you. Sell Mark Andrews for TJ Hawkinson, and I really hope that John Alexander uh, sees my offer uh, of Andrews for Hawk in our main league uh, before he hears this edit. Mitch, what you got? So I touched on the uh, the big three wide receivers in Pittsburgh a couple episodes ago, or maybe it was last episode. Who's keeping track? But James Washington sucks, and Juju going down is a good thing for Claypool and Deontay. I think that these two are definitely going to be much better without Juju in the picture. Wheels up for Claypool, Mapletron. And Deontay Tron. Deontay Tron. All right. To a lesser extent. To a lesser extent. All right. <laughs> Uh, another quarterback here for me. I just want to give a lot of love to Jalen Hurts right now. He is the only quarterback in the NFL who has put up a top 12 week every week this year. He is getting it done on the ground and he's really proving himself as a leader in that locker room. So this is a guy who just does not get enough love and, uh, I love to see it. Okay. One more from me and then one more from Mitch Javante Williams. Low-key murdering the NFL on his touches in terms of broken tackles and just all those like higher-level running back stats. He is killing it. Just look out for Javante Williams. I know Melvin Gordon's still there, but Javante is a beast. RB1 for Dynasty incoming. Ooh. All right. Last one. Don't sell Elijah Moore. Don't do it. Why why would you do it? Hang on to him. I know it sucks to watch. I, I hate every bit of it. But you're not going to get what you want for him, so just don't start him, but don't trade him. Oh, man. It's it's not looking good, guys. Don't do it. I've got a, a lot of Elijah Moore, and let me tell you, the offers I have gotten to sell Elijah Moore have been downright disrespectful. So, yeah, do not, do not sell Elijah Moore. I completely agree. And yeah. on that note, on that very important note, we will close out episode 27 of the Long Game Dynasty podcast. Miss you, John. See you next week and see everybody next week. Goodbye. Bye-bye.